This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Jackbox. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack from the creators of You Don't Know Jack. Now on Xbox One, PS3, PS4, Steam, and more. Go to jackboxgames.com for more info. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my dear friend, Tim Herlin, and he talked to me about the pursuit of success. may sound a little nebulous, but I think it was just the right thing for us to land on after we kind of shot the shit for a while in the studio and kind of circled what was on Tim's mind and what he's really feeling passionate about right now. And I really love this conversation. It definitely comes from the perspective of two um, aspiring actors, if I may say that. Um, and, uh, you know, Tim's kind of uh, got more experience under his belt where that kind of thing is concerned than I do. So it's really cool for me to um, kind of be able to pick his brain a little and hear him kind of speak to what his experience has been and uh see you know really his heart right now is definitely feeling that success looks like happiness uh so it was his idea to label this the pursuit of success uh in conjunction with the idea of the pursuit of happiness and uh i think there were a lot of really poignant things um to be said about that and a lot of really telling things um about his you know journey and such along the way so i hope everyone enjoys this thoroughly um much like i did the show that uh, Tim mentions a number of times that he felt like uh, I inspired him in talking about it um, is a show that I wrote and I'm performing in at the Annoyance Theater, which we also speak to a lot in this because it's, you know, how we know one another and the place is really close to both of us. Uh, but it's at the Annoyance Theater, Tuesday nights, the 26th of July and the 2nd of August are the last two chances you'll have to see Generation Gap, a show I wrote. Um, it's close to me, but also I think it's a lot of fun. Plays with genre a lot. Um, my parents got to see it last night, and man, that was like both very nerve wracking, but also like just incredibly rewarding. He talks a lot about uh, Tim talks a lot about you know happiness and success being your friends and your family being proud of you and being able to acknowledge these things that you've accomplished. And there's definitely a lot of that for me in the last like 24 hours or so. So this was really wonderful for me to kind of get to bounce off of Tim, off Mike and a little bit on. And um, I really, really, uh, if you listen to this show, think that you will get something out of seeing that show I wrote because I think there's a lot of me in it. Um, so that's like a weird and self-serving thing. Um, if you'd like to see me and sometimes occasionally Tim, uh, perform in, uh, some improv that's on Thursday nights at the annoyance, the show is called fish bowl. Um, the team that I am on site and scene hosts that show. Tim, as he mentions, is a, a, a performer and teacher at the annoyance. So he's a wonderful example of the kinds of people that we get to play in the fishbowl portion of the show that students of the theater, uh, get to throw their name in the hat for and try to perform with, um, people like Tim and other wonderful performers and teachers at the annoyance and around the city. Um, so, uh, those are some, some live show opportunities. Um, I would encourage you to check out all of these shows, um, along with this one in the Chicago podcast co-op, a couple of those shows, open ended and roboism of whom, um, 
half of each <laughs> hosting set for the show has been a past guest on this show. Um, open-ended being Sharon Vincent, Roboism being Alex Cox. I'm going to have the other half of open-ended on next week. James Green, can't wait. Um, those shows are part of a, another podcast uh, network or, or, or a collection called Post Loudness that has recently been featured on the front page of iTunes, which is fucking awesome. So I just want to give those guys a shout-out, encourage you to listen to those shows, get in on the ground floor, and be able to experience why these um, this platform is uh, important um, for uh, Post Loudness was created as a, uh, a podcasting resource for voices who may be underrepresented in the independent world of podcasting. Uh, so we're talking women, people of color, and uh, queer identifying hosts um, in that network. And I can't be happier about um, those people getting some notoriety for the work they've done and the shows that they're producing because they're such good people. They love podcasting so much and they love, you know, um, everything. They're so passionate about what they've been working on. So it's just a total joy to see that come to fruition this way. So strongly encourage you to check those out and all the other shows on the Chicago podcast go up along with this one and the other nerdologues shows that are a part of it. Um, I think that's all I've got. Um, thank you so much to those who listened to last week's episode with my mom. It really, as I mentioned before, that uh, felt like it made that that experience kind of come full circle for me uh, to get to to share that conversation with her about this thing that we both loved and kind of hear her speak to like um, how things were kind of different for for her generation and like priorities were different and that kind of bled into this conversation with Tim too. So I've just been thinking a lot about um, um, success and happiness and and uh, you know being able to share those moments with your family and your parents and knowing that so much of our our worth uh you know it's it's where we came from everything's so tied up in that and uh i think that that makes this conversation a good like companion piece to the last weeks and um i know that that a lot of my uh time and energy and mental capacity (laughs) in the last couple weeks has been owed to um my family and my parents and it was kind of a joy to get to kind of expound upon that a little more and with Tim and um, kind of hear where he's coming from in some similar places uh, so anywho if you enjoy this uh, if that sounds interesting to you uh, maybe check that out um, check out some live shows support this Chicago podcast co-op they, they hook us up hook me up with all my sponsors it's very cool very you know um a modicum of success in its own right if i may say so i guess i have already so i can't take it back now anywho enjoy the show thank you so much for listening and here is my conversation with tim herlin we're so warmed up we're beyond warmed up <laughs> did the zip the zap the zap mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun we've been having fun this whole time it's like good it's, uh, it's always good to talk things out we hit that before <laughs> and yeah and I definitely think that uh, we kind of, we know what path this is going to take as a result of how much we have been. It's good to talk about family and mm-hmm. I think family is very important and how we measure success, mm-hmm. what we're doing with our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, my guest today is Tim Herlin and we've settled on uh, t- framing this conversation around um what is the pursuit of success? 
Yes, and it's like very that. interesting how you use the word settled. I know. <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's telling. <laughs> um, why don't you speak to a little bit of uh, how you came to want to talk about this, like why you're interested in it, why you feel like you kind of know a little bit about um, this experience of uh, your own pursuit of success. Sure. Well, thanks, first of all, for having me here. Of course. Uh, huge fan of the podcast. Bigger fan you of you. doll. Oh, shucks. Uh, yeah, Mary Beth Smith and I were talking before, and we're kind of at that point in our lives where I especially am noticing that success is extremely subjective. How we measure success is different in the, uh, our eyes and also how other people will measure success and how successful we are is different to them too. So I'm at the point where I'm now have been in Chicago for more than 10 years. I'm originally from Tucson, Arizona, and I moved out here to pursue sketch and improv. I originally majored in marketing, went to the University of Arizona in Tucson, which was probably maybe a 25 minute drive from where I grew up to where I was staying wow. in dorms, going to college. So, so all that like, you know, the idea of getting, quote unquote, getting out, like you hadn't really done it yet no, through your college exactly. experience. So my generation from all my friends in Tucson, the majority, I would say almost 85 to 90% of my friends moved out of Tucson after high school or college. A lot of my friends did go to the University of Arizona. So uh -huh. I was really It's a huge eager. school, right? Very big school. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't surprise me. I'd like me. to guess how many numbers. Uh, <laughs> I'm usually way off. Tens of thousands, I'm sure. There's like a couple hundred people at the University of Arizona. No, it's yeah, it's tens of thousands. Um, <laughs> so having majored in marketing, um, I came from a very analytical thinking, planning, mm -hmm. having lists. Mm -hmm. My dad's side's mostly lawyers. My mom's side's mostly in the medical field. Wow. So like you are <laughs> I am the black that sheep kid. and I have family on the West Coast, family and then family on the East Coast in DC. And I moved <laughs> by myself to Chicago, not knowing anyone to pursue comedy. Man. And they supported it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, when it comes to improv and sketch, I never acted. I was never in any, any plays or anything until I did short form improv about sophomore year in college. Mm -hmm. But I had always been fascinated with acting and film. And one of the things that got me into that was my dad made a list years ago when I was in fifth grade or maybe even fourth grade about all his favorite m films and all of the best picture winning films. Oh, cool. He said, for every movie you see, I'll give you two bucks. No and shit. When you're in fourth grade, two bucks. I mean, that's... That's so funny. That's some folded paper to put in your umbros. You know oh I mean? my gosh. He incentivized you to totally. become a cinephile. It's great. And it's something that's that... That's uh, awesome. I would love to do uh, when I have kids. And yeah, I may even pass it on with my cousin's kids. Uh, so I was at a very young age watching the 39 Steps and a bunch of Hitchcock movies. And I remember staying after English class with Mr. Barry in seventh grade at Orange Grove, just talking to him about my favorite Hitchcock movies and how I liked how the rope was edited in kind of like one long take. Yeah, it's and like the original Birdman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a great uh, reference. I never thought of that. Uh, I remember, I, don't, I didn't know that rope was all one, or like edited to look like all one take until Birdman came out and I started... I'm kind of a late in life cinephile. Like I really didn't start, sorry to interrupt a little, no but worries. I really didn't start getting into 
movies at all until I was in college. So like I had, I'm kind of the opposite. Like I had been acting and doing community theater um, most of my life, like from at a very young age and continued to do it through my college years. And that's kind of what brought me here. Um, but where film is concerned, I didn't really start watching a lot of movies and certainly didn't start watching anything critically until like after I had already graduated from high school. Um, so I wouldn't have known enough or, but, and now it's like one of my favorite things. Like, you know, I try to see all the Oscar movies and then try to reach outside of that and go, you know, like, all right, what else is the Academy to, you know, too non-diverse to have not acknowledged, at least seems to be the, the case in the last few years. So like, what else, yeah. what else do I need to be filling this out with? But when Birdman came out and I saw that and I was, you know, reading about it, a lot of things were mentioning rope and the fact that like, yeah, this is a really interesting way to like edit a movie, but we, can we acknowledge that Hitchcock did it like yeah. 50 years ago or something like that? Uh, it's funny when you bring up Birdman, uh, one of the few films I, I see, tw- I saw twice in the theater. Uh, whenever I see a movie I really like, if it's still in the theater, I'll go to Tucson. Whenever I'm in Tucson, I'll take my dad to go see it. Oh, really? Too. Yeah. That's cool that you still kind of share that connection. Oh, definitely. So you took him to see Birdman? Yeah. Uh, but the first time I saw it was in Port Canaveral, Florida. I was doing a ship contract with the Second City. Uh-huh. And me and uh, two or three other castmates, we were at a movie theater in a mall, and I was like, hey, let's go see Dumb and Dumber 2. Ah. It's, it's, it's in the theater. And they're like, well, we've heard a lot of good things about Birdman. I was like, oh, man, come on. That's so Dumb and funny. Dumber 2, we got to see it. And they're like, That's no, let's go so... see Birdman. I was like, fine, whatever. And of course, it's an amazing film. I loved it. But, I loved it so much. But uh, Dumb and Dumber was the second movie where I memorized every line for every character. Dumb and Dumber is incredible. The it's second. Amazing. What was the first? Uh, the movie Clue with Tim Curry. No way. Every line. I can absolutely see that, character. actually, about your sensibilities and like <laughs> yeah even uh style predating my dad's movie list i used to just watch uh the princess bride uh bed knobs and broomsticks and the movie clue over and over dress up act them out oh while they gosh. were on the tv so you did have those inklings it just did it never like occur to you to well you said before this that you did you were like a really serious basketball player yes, do you think that exactly. had exactly uh, rehearsing twice a day, there's just no time for that. Or like, yeah. I mean, not rehearsing. Wow, I just practicing. Like rehearsing, yeah, rehearsing basketball in our basketball <laughs> wardrobe. Classic. Yeah. yeah, my basketball outfit. How do I cross court left instead of screen? Kill <laughs> me. Uh, yeah. That's so, so funny. That makes so much sense, though. Yeah. So it was always there. It just. And I, I love doing impressions of Will Ferrell's impressions <laughs> in high school and mm-hmm. quoting the That's rock. That's so funny. That says so much about like what era of SNL was popular Absolutely, when yeah. you're in high school. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> you're Neil probably Diamond, doing yeah. like Will Ferrell's Bush. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. And then uh, Janet Reno's dance party. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had all these great influences, just I never really acted on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always go home right after high school and watch Kids in the Hall just nonstop. That's so funny that you were so into it and now it's you've been pursuing it for 10 some odd years. Yeah. And I even remember like uh, putting a voice recorder to certain movies and then just recording it and listening to it, which is weird because I had the VHS. Why listen to a recording? That is interesting. It's almost like so I could like visualize. That's really interesting. In some movies I would like transcribe. Uh, uh, this says a lot about me. I remember watching Newsies. 
that Christian Bale refuses that, to admit that he was in. And like <laughs> transcribing one of the songs. Uh, that was real cool. What song? I think now is an appropriate time to say that I'm an only child. <laughs> so uh, true. <laughs> so all of these uh, indicators. You got to find those, those ways to entertain yourself. I know. <laughs> were there, but it wasn't really until college when as a marketing major, I wasn't allowed to take many classes in the drama school. So I took as many as I could. And then I took a few classes at the studio for actors in Tucson, which was run by uh, Anna Reasley, still is, excuse me. And she was on Saturday Night Live one year when Lauren Michaels kind of bowed out. Oh, yeah. Um, so that, I learned a lot from there. Took no acting shit. improv classes there. At, she worked at... Um the University of Arizona? Oh, uh, no. She had her own studio in Tucson. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. I was writing something and spaced out if oh, I'm no being problem. purposefully honest. Perfectly honest? Purposefully honest. <laughs> we'll go with that. All right. <laughs> um, so, what yeah, all, all of this passion was there with movies. And I would still to this day on a bad week watch two movies a week. And then it wasn't. Two a, new movies? Two new movies, yeah. Wow. My in theaters? Um, Occasionally, yes. Or just like. One theater, one on demand, a lot or of something Netflix, like that. Yeah, a lot of HBO okay, Go. Cool. Um, yeah, and it wasn't until I auditioned for short form in college and started doing improv there where I was like, wow, I think I actually really like this. I should do this. Cool. So I took a two week intensive in Chicago uh, with writing, with Mary Scruggs, still one of the best teachers I wow. have. Wow. So it was an intensive at Second City? Yes. Uh, improv and writing. And then I was here for two weeks and then decided to move. And Fell when I moved here, it. I went through conservatory. Classic. IO and annoyance at the same time. Fuck, dude. Yeah. I can't. Whenever people say that, even two at a time, it blows my mind. One of, I think I'm the only person who's taken all three. Yeah. I saved up money. I had a day job. I didn't have a day job. And I kept three different notebooks One for, for each, each different yeah. uh, theater because I think that they're all going towards the same goal of yeah. being in the moment, listening to your scene partner, having emotional reaction, not thinking, processing, responding, but simply listening, having emotional reaction. But they're just flexing different muscles. Do you think that, uh, like, even though they are call- kind of all, like, flexing different muscles, do you think learning from all those places at the same time kind of like pulled you in like do you think it made you a like confused performer for a while there was definitely a huge change from just being doing short form in college with the charles darwin experience (laughs) that was the name of your group the charles darwin experience maybe our shirt was lime green and had a monkey holding a mic stand maybe Maybe you could go on cafepress.com and buy mouse pads and mugs. <laughs> Maybe my to parents bought all of these. <laughs> I don't think so anymore. Uh, <laughs> and the goal there was did having you fun. Cre- the, did the team predate your time on it? Like, did it already exist before you joined it? Yes, it, it? did. And actually, uh, it was founded, I believe, by a Chicago comedian, Tamal- Tamale Sepp. She was oh, one of the founding members cool. of the University Cool. I know of Tamale. That's really cool. Yeah. And so it was great, like, meeting her here. I was like, hey, Charles Darwin experience. She's like, what? That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. But back then, it was just like, we didn't do any exercises. We didn't really train for improv. It was like, hey, what did we see uh, this week on Whose Line? 
What can we do That's from that? That's so funny. A lot of, of tacking, talking at people instead of talking to them. Mm. A lot of energy, no listening. Yeah, not really understanding why that stuff was successful in the first place, probably. Being loud and energetic. <laughs> and just I bet screaming. people loved it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> While they were sitting in a carpeted cafeteria. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, um, what's that talking, that where you do the hands for someone else? <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, moving hands or something. Or, yeah. yeah, helping hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, my goodness, totally. That's so funny because I think, and I'm sure when you did the intensive, you're, it blew your mind to think that any of it could be, like, calculated or... Yeah, it was, you know. it was really interesting. Um, and this was, as far as the success goes that we we're talking about, mm-hmm. this is super on early in my life, right out of college, mm-hmm. and it was really focused on new things. Moving to Chicago, not knowing anyone, how exciting is that? And just having fun. Because to you at that point, and you touched on this a little before, the idea that like a lot of your friends had like already left Tucson or did after college. Yes. So that to you at the time was like, this is what success means, (laughs) is getting out. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, I owed to myself to experience new things, to experience anything outside of Tucson. And sure, I will kind of, as a tangent story, bring up my cousins and uh, also my college roommate, Evan Manning, who's a, a successful attorney in uh, Tucson. Hmm. And meanwhile, Evan Manning goes to William and Mary Law School in Virginia right after college. Uh, he had already met his now wife, Jackie, <laughs> who I was fortunate enough and honored enough to officiate their wedding. Oh, awesome. So th- they met in Tucson, and Jackie stayed in Tucson while Evan went to Virginia. And then my cousins, Maggie and Molly, my cousin is in med school. My cousin, Molly, had already graduated from uh, Northwestern Journalism School, which isn't in Evanston. It's actually downtown. And oh. she... When she found out I was moving to Chicago, she was like, hey, check out 18 East Elm. That's where I lived. Of course, I ended up moving in, not only in the same building, but right around the hall from her. That's so funny. So I moved to Chicago, not knowing anyone, having a lot of fun. And my goal, as I had mentioned, coming from majoring in marketing, professional parents, have all these lists. My goal is to be in Chicago for three years and then move to L.A. Whoa. My goal is to train, and uh, train, take classes, obviously, same thing, and then do shows at the Annoyance, I.O., and Second City. So you, like, you came in gunning for, like, being a professional actor, basically. Yes, because it, it goes back to that passion with TV and film. Yeah. I, I, that was the goal. That's, That's what I really wanted. interesting because I think a lot of people come to it from your background and don't necessarily come into it with that goal. Does that make sense? Because I think a lot of people come to Chicago, I mean, even like myself, come to Chicago like at least partially because they did improv in college and they know that's like where you keep doing improv. And I don't necessarily think all of those people have the like strict goal coming in of being a professional actor in LA. And I think, well, I don't think that needs to be anyone's specific goal, but I think everyone should have a clear goal. Yeah. That's something that Mick Napier always is about. He will say to people casually, so what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And 90% of the time, people feel like they're, they don't want to be come off as an arrogant asshole by saying, I want to be on TV. So they'll end up saying like, well, you know, I just kind of want to have fun and like kind of do what I'm doing and do, you know, maybe, uh, maybe do another Herald team or (laughs) not the same thing wrong with that. Or like, you know, 
do some improv, maybe some being sketch. humble about by their that goals. time, mix, you know, shuffling cars, being like, well, this guy doesn't in his mind. He's like, well, this guy doesn't know what he wants. I think you, it's, there's she. nothing wrong with that. And you should have a clear cut goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think people should have lists, even if it's outside of acting, mm-hmm. just in your life. I think that's a good thing to be like, this is my goal. Here are some steps I need to do in order to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Three years obviously goes by because mm-hmm. I've been here for 10. And <laughs> that is because... That was my next quite yeah. like my next uh, question I guess I think that's because I made so many lifelong friends having taken classes and doing shows I love the city of Chicago and I've been to LA a few times not a huge fan of the city my friends who were there as professional actors like they're even like I hate LA yeah and they choose to like live in farther parts decent parts of uh, Los Angeles but I'm at the point in my life where Having been here for 10 years, I'm really sitting down and being like, okay, what else do I need to achieve? I need to go back to this list because I, like many other people in all aspects of life, find myself content. And sometimes when you're content, you don't, you're not as motivated. You're not right. pushing yourself as much. Sure. So I think it's important to make lists. I sound like my dad. That sounds weird. Because <laughs> even whenever we went on trips, uh, as long as I can remember, my dad would always... Even if it's just like, oh, this is my dad's very obsessive compulsive. And even if it's just like, oh, we're thirsty, let's walk into this McDonald's at Times Square and get two large sprites, he would write that down and then journal it. Whoa. So he has the list aspect of on that New York trip, we would be up at nine, out of the door at 10, hitting the Met and then Central Park and all of these different plans before we go to a Mets game. That would be Wait, on an itinerary. Is your dad a Mets fan? I thought you were a Yankees fan. Uh, well, that's interesting because my mom, every summer, our vacations were all about going to see her relatives, her sister in D.C. Uh-huh. So we would fly out to D.C. once a year and then most likely fly down to Daytona where we, her family had a conduit right on Daytona Beach uh-huh. and then go to Disney World. My dad's summer vacations were, all right, it's me and you. We're going to go to a new city and see as many professional baseball stadiums as we can. Cool. Which was which is cool because at one point before they started tearing down all the old parks, I was maybe ten shy of going to all of them. Holy shit, that's awesome! But now as a, a grown ass man, yeah, it's like I'm really close to my mom's side of the family, whereas my dad's side not so much. Yeah. And parks are turning over so quickly that, like, you've probably been to a ton of places that don't even exist anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Braves have one of the oldest stadiums in baseball. Like, outside of Fenway and Wrigley, Turner Field that was built in, like, 95 or 96 is one of the old. Isn't that insane? That's terrible. I went to the old – I went to Comiskey, uh, which is – I mean, U.S. Cellular's not that old. And then, so was he a Yankees fan and he just like wanted to see stuff at all the parks? No, he wasn't a Yankees fan. He was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And my dad oh. actually uh, is a huge collector. And uh, I don't, I'm not going to keep that vague and creepy. What that means is <laughs> a collector he uh, loves pride. baseball cards and going on eBay. And he, at one point he was spending way too much money. And I was actually like, Dad, you got you to gotta chill. Like you have this LeBron James card, but you also have five other of the same cards. Jesus. And he has a Jackie Robinson cards. He has full Brooklyn Dodgers teams from various years. Um, Babe Ruth cards, like really. Fuck. And I, I said, 
what's the most valuable card? Is it the Jackie Robinson rookie card you have? He said, no, it's this one LeBron James card where they only made 125 and some random dude owns 75 of them. So the fact that it's so rare and one dude has like a monopoly on this, that makes it so rare. But my, as I keep getting older and we talk about success and we'll get into our parents, yeah. I, one of the things that I present my dad is like, dad, what are you going to do with all this crap? He's like, yeah. give it to you. I'm like, then what am I going to do? With <laughs> because it, it becomes this weird thing of like, I mean, hopefully it won't Thanks be for, for a the long stuff time. burden pops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But ho- hopefully maybe, you know, in 20 years, I hope my dad lives a long life. Sure. Um, I'll get this huge dolly that I'll have to oh reel into a house God. of baseball cards. And then you feel like an asshole if you sell them on eBay. Cause yeah, because your dad went through all this stuff. and Yeah, now he's dead. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I can't imagine. And it's not just that. It's not just baseball cards. That is kind of... How like, did you become a Yankees fan? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Question. I just want to know. I get know. asked that every time. And I I'd, just want to know. Uh, seriously. Well, I used to play... For, uh, the simple version is I used to play first base, and I liked Don Mattingly. Okay. I That's think fine. if we were to dig into this deeper, my dad didn't like the Yankees, so maybe at a young age it was like, yeah, rebellious. Middle finger. And that was probably... Where were the Diamondbacks in that? I was a Yankees timeline. fan long before the Diamondbacks. That's were what I figured yeah. was like you didn't Sunday have a team, yeah. and like unless you went, you know, like you said, like your dad was a Dodgers fan, so maybe you go to Brooklyn Dodgers, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's like, do you just go to L.A. because, or like you said, it's probably a, a bit of a it probably middle is finger. That. The Yankees have always been my team. I've definitely. Uh, it started out my favorite player was Jose Canseco. Oh my God. And I, all of this is also like, I feel like this is part of the conversation about like the pursuit of success. You just like came out the gate being a fan of like one of the most successful teams in baseball and one of the most successful players in baseball. Whose finger recently fell off while he was playing a game of poker or something weird. He has a crazy life. He unfortunately struggles from, uh, I believe, uh, a serious mental disorder, but. His uh, Twitter is hilarious. His tw- <laughs> Twitter is hilarious. Uh, and I, I will admit, admit uh, I own at least 116 different Jose Canseco baseball cards. Holy shit. So my dad had a huge influence on me. Uh, but you just age. have Jose Canseco mainly? No. I, it's funny. And I encourage everyone <laughs> I to do this. you're like, what am I going to do with all this when I get it for my dad? But like you I also have, have your own small. Yeah. <laughs> A thing I like doing is my mom, I grew up with my mom, and my mom has had the same townhome since before, since I was in kindergarten. So I like going home and like taking inventory of all my stuff. It's very nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Like going through all of these old cards, and occasionally you'll see like, wow, I have a Mark McGuire rookie card just Jesus. Still, I'm like, I don't know what I would do with it. But then another fun one is I miss driving. Like in Chicago, uh, I have a sure. car. So I'll occasionally grab some of these horrible burned cds i have that will just be like uh, tyler wilson's house in a, in a date in like that he just had a party in college or like d-backs game and uh it was me my buddy ben john and tyler and austin driving up to a d-backs game and i made a mix for it that's so funny oh my god a lot of d-backs game bro <laughs> and like for sweet home alabama's on every cd for some reason uh, like, why? sweet home alabama oh my god and then like a lot of oar um, mm, yeah. Dispatch the general. Oh, I love Dispatch. Oh, my God. It was decorated general. My cousin went to school with uh, the OAR. Really? Wooten High School in uh, Maryland, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I don't know why, but I was always like, I was on that dispatch train, but I feel like I didn't, I was never fans of bands that were like similar to them, which I would put like OAR okay. on that list probably. Not necessarily that I didn't like them, but for one reason or another, dispatch was the one I like plucked out of that type of music. Interesting. I love Two Coins. Two Coins. I don't know that song. Uh, I, I think I, I just know the general. your lips and the two coins of your eyes into my pocket. Keep going. The whole, the whole song. Yeah. <laughs> well, the train skates into Fort Henry. I'm going to stop, but I could keep going. You could <laughs> um, Yeah, I feel like music is always really tied to the era of your life that you experienced it. Not unlike uh, film. Perfect. There was uh, there are a couple of albums that I will never listen to again, not because they're bad, excuse me, but because they were great albums, and I was going through certain times in my life, transitions, change, uncertainty, uh, even heartbreak in certain things. Sure. Where music has a huge impact on me. Sure. Especially emotionally, uh, and. Even right now, I hate to say it, I, I still listen to probably only the same 200 songs over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I also have bad, narrow music taste. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as films go, my top five favorite films, I think three of them I've only seen once. And I don't really? plan on seeing them again. Huh. Because it, it's one of those things where like, I will watch it and be like, that is incredible. Absolutely brilliant. Like I was blown away by Sunset Boulevard a couple of years ago. I oh, like, I still haven't seen crap. Sunset Boulevard. It's an amazing I need to write film. that down. Or M by Fritz Lang or Metropolis by Fritz Lang. Or Eight and a Half Vertigo I've seen a couple of times. I got to see it in the, on the big screen. Oh, amazing. cool. And just films like those that I, had such an impression on me, I just want to keep it fresh. And maybe someday down the line, I'll see him again. But I consider those some of my favorite all-time movies. Wow. Some of the best movies I've seen. And I don't, I don't need to see him again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. My, I, my, I definitely like have a distinction between, I don't necessarily think the movies that resonate with me and like echo in my life that I like rewatch and return to are necessarily like, some of the best movies ever made, but I think that it, I gravitate towards these like smaller stories that are just really well told. And I think that is like starting to show in the things that I create as a like performer okay. and writer. And um, so that to me has been my like kind of journey with, with film and like the things that I gravitate towards are like, I'm starting to, and even TV, like the, the, the shows that I gravitate towards are things that like make me feel and think and laugh and cry probably about like these, but are just like a person's life story told. You know what I mean? I mean, we were talking about the Soloways earlier. Like I think Transparent is one of the best shows like on TV right now is just like an impossibly difficult story to tell in and they're doing it in such an artistic, incredible way. That's all true. Yeah, and yeah. Nick, uh, he experienced, he had never seen their father as a woman. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was the 25th anniversary for the Alliance. <gasps> wow. Yes. And he came Showed to up and 
beautiful gown. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's They're all mapa. coming from a, a very true place. Oh my gosh. I just can't imagine it. It just gives so much more. Not that the story wouldn't have heft without it being true, but the fact that you know, it's like, it's their story to tell, you Absolutely, know, like, yeah. It's there. It's theirs. It's Jill's story, and they're just doing such a good job. And it's just like, but you know, on the other side of that coin, like I also love Parks and Rec, which is like couldn't be lighter fare, but it's like it just echoes with me so much. I just went through that. I'm late the in the whole, game. Really? I, I just went through the whole uh, series on Netflix Instant, and I loved it. It's so good. And then we were doing. Skin prov, uh, which Mick Napier describes as better than Second City, uh-huh. which is a <laughs> midnight show at the Annoyance where actors, not strippers, improvise and they take off their clothes while they improvise. <laughs> I've done it three times, maybe three or four. You not very. You need many. to do it again. I should. I should. It's fun. But we were doing conducted story, and I look out into the audience, and I notice that the actor who plays Larry or Gary Gergich yeah. from Parks and Rec is there. I'm like, no way! I saw his crap. picture on the up so up show screen yeah. at the theater last night, and my cousin saw it actually, and she was like, "Is that Jerry?" Because they've been watching yeah. it too. And I looked up, and it like went away right when they asked me, and I was like. I don't know, but honestly, it very well could have been because he is like, he does have Chicago ties. He loves comedy. I've seen him at Second City before. It very well could have been. And he was there. Such a nice guy. Uh, Um, I met him when he did the set at Second City because Paul had like kind of just, he was like early on on main stage and he texted me because he knew I was obsessed with Parks. And he was like, you have to come to the set tonight. And I did, and I got to meet him. That's and awesome. He couldn't have been nicer. It was a dream. <laughs> he hung out an hour after Skin Prov, <gasps> and he chose to do this and went, because he shook everyone's hand, took all the pictures, talked to people. That's exactly how he was at Second City. He was so gracious towards the cast, and he actually said, yeah, I don't know what he did specifically in Chicago, but he said, oh, my goodness. He did. So um, many memories. The thing that Julia Louis-Dreyfus did, uh, fuck. Not compass players, but it's like something like that. Like the workshop, is that what it's called? It's something like that. Um, but anyway. I totally know what you're talking you about. You know what I mean? I it's do. like a thing that doesn't really exist anymore, but at the time it produced a lot of... Um, uh, I think Jerry Stiller might have been... I think you're that. right. I think you're right. Like there's there's a, a Stiller connection. Um, I would have... I'm literally Googling... Julia Louis-Dreyfus, but that's when he did the set at the main stage, he mentioned that that like he had never really done anything at Second City, but that was kind of his tie to um, the Chicago like comedy scene. Oh, he was so nice, so gracious, and really hung out with everyone and said he brought back a lot of memories, and he was in town shooting a film, and as soon as it wrapped, oh, cool. every night he just looks see what shows he can do, how he can support. Oh, that's like, yeah, awesome. What nice an guy. incredible dude. Yeah. I I just, I love when that kind of thing happens, when there's like someone who's so good on a thing that you love, and then like, you know, they say never meet your heroes, and then <laughs> I know I, you, meet, you meet one, like or at least on some level. Edward Norton is my, one of my favorite actors, and he's the probably the reason I got into acting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've heard mixed stories about people who I know personally who have met him uh, for, to the, from working with him to he was dating my friend's ex-girlfriend and he got to play charades with Edward Norton. <gasps> what? Some, some stories are good and some stories are bad, but 
it was just another meta layer from Birdman, from Keaton playing a, a superhero like Batman, and then Edward Norton being known as being difficult difficult to work with. But yeah, and uh, like because that was part of the joke in Birdman. Yeah, totally. Is that like he was portraying some fictionalized yeah. version Heightened of himself? Version himself. Yeah, which is really interesting because he's fucking incredible in that movie. <laughs> One of the best actors. Yeah. But going back to the list of uh, best films, I, I think whenever I talk films, I talk about, and people are like, what are some of your favorite films? I always have two lists. One is five films that I think are the best movies I've seen, and then five films that I can watch over and over again. That makes a lot of sense. I like to compartmentalize the two because... I think you have to, because I think... It's, I mean, taste is always going to be subjective, but it's like I was telling you, like the things I always return to are the things that resonate with me a lot, but I don't necessarily think they're like the best movies ever made. I don't know if I have a list like that, but go on. Yeah, if you watch, you know, Metropolis every day, you're a, you'd be <laughs> insane. Or like, right. Yeah, um, but there are certain films that you can watch over that are great films, like the original Back to the Future. Sure, Everything's a setup, every, every, and it has a payoff. As some uh-huh. It's a really good movie. Uh-huh. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, great movie. Shawshank uh-huh. Redemption is one of the more tragic movies, but you can watch over and over again. Uh-huh. Are those the things you feel like you like return to a lot? I think so. And then Clue I could obviously watch right. over and over again, because that's very nostalgic. And it's also like, I think it's fascinating that Clue did the different endings. I feel like that's kind of unsurpassed and when it was released in the theater they would only show one of them so right yeah so you had to see it multiple times to actually have seen all the things i think that's fascinating And in my apartment i have an original theatrical release from i believe 86 or 80 i can't remember i can't remember the year but of the clue movie poster that came out cool yeah do you feel like there are markers of um success in those kinds of things. Like we talked about how, you know, you're a Yankees fan, you love Jose Canseco. Like that was obviously its own thing. Um, And like the sports world definitely has its like heroes and success stories. Do you think there, and we talked a little bit about Edward Norton, obviously, but do you think there were things that, you know, when you were that like young improviser in Chicago who was going to move to LA in three years, what was the thing that you looked at and went, that's it? Like, that's what I want. I know that's great a hard question. question. No, it's a great question. And I think there's a lot of herd mentality when it comes to the Chicago comedy scene. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will give importance to a, a certain goal. And that goal kind of has a group mind behind it. Sure. And I think you're totally right. I think a lot of people do come to Chicago. I don't know if you said this while we were recording or before. A lot of people come to Chicago without kind of a goal. Mm-hmm. It just seems I think like that was on Mike. The, the next progressive step. I did mm-hmm. this in college. I'm going to go to Chicago because Chicago is where everything originated. Right. I think a lot of people and students nowadays. Will I've ask, heard people even refer to it like with tongue in cheek as like comedy grad school. Yeah. You know, that's what um, I believe it was Harold Ramers or Bill Murray said. The second city was like graduate school where you learned comedy more, your own point of view, and then you went on to your career to actually work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason I'm here for 10, I've been here seven years longer than what I originally thought was because of the friends, because of the city, and also because I kind of got lost. Hmm. I got lost doing sketch and improv and kind of forgot about 
what my true passion about being an actor in TV and film it's was. It's really, really easy to do that. It's so easy to get sucked into that. And I don't think it's a bad thing. And I, I, I've enjoyed it a it's lot. It's just different. And it is different. But sometimes when you get content, you can get stagnant. You, sure. you need to constantly push yourself. And even after doing another ship contract, an actor and I, Andy Bulldock, we will have lunch and come up with lists of goals and kind of cool. push each other. And that's Andy's kind of a, great. Yeah, he's a great guy. And kind of push each other to make sure that we're on top of things and doing what we want Good to do. Good for you, man. But yeah, as far as success goes, like I, so I, I was doing a ton of shows. I think I was doing 10 sketch shows a year. Fuck. A lot at the old Skybox before it was re- renovated. Just like every month, like every month almost? I, insane. Like I would have Were you three auditioning to four shows for stuff or putting groups together yourself or no. And that was another aspect. I was not creating my own material. I was acting in sketches that other people wrote. I wasn't doing a ton of improv. I was still taking a lot of classes like at the green room studio, acting studio, Chicago, uh, did take artist, low comedy, music, improv conservatory. I always love learning. And even as a teacher, I, I stress that there are three ways to learn from taking classes doing it yourselves, and also watching other people do it. Cool. That, that's a good message. Derek Jeter didn't learn how to play baseball just by reading in a book. Uh-huh. He watched other people do it, and he did it too. Uh-huh. So as years go by, I'm taking classes. I've had occasional day, day jobs, doing shows. Meanwhile, uh, my cousins are done with medical school, wrapping up their residencies, my cousin Molly finished her journalism master's, moves to Virginia, gets married. Yeah. Evan Manning is done with law school, goes back goes to Tucson. Goes back to Tucson. Starts marries to, Jackie. So you see all these people who like were living these kind of parallel lives. Yes. Reaching a level of, uh, you know, the finish line to some extent. Yes. And we labeled this the pursuit of success. Right. Because there's a play on the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> It, what's the difference? Is there a difference of being successful and being happy? This idea of settling. I saw an Onion article that had the headline something amongst the lines of local man never leaves hometown surprisingly happy with beautiful family or something like that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and it's this weird concept where is staying in your hometown, is it seen as a failure? It's like, oh, that guy never left Tucson. What yeah. a weirdo. Yeah. What a weirdo to be happy with a house with a swimming pool and uh-huh. beautiful wife yeah. and kids. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like so, day in and day out, loving his wife and children more than anything. Yeah, it's it's funny because I think that I think it's easy to label like that, you know, a a success or a failure. But I think in at the end of the day, one, it's like you said, it's whatever makes you happy. And two, like, huh, how do we, I guess the bigger question for me is like, how do you know? Like, how far do you get into a certain life before you know whether or not you, it feels like success or happiness? And success is so subjective. Right. And it's how we measure it, even though we know it's skewed, like I'm specifically picking my family members and my friends for reasons because that's how I kind of measure success, sure. which is not is not the case, and it doesn't always mean happiness. It's like, yes, my friend has a beautiful wife. She's awesome, a great person, kind, caring, 
She, they have an amazing son, Max. She's expecting another child. They have a two-bedroom house with a pool, and their mortgage is less than my rent. <laughs> They're happy, but also, uh, like, when I talk to Evan, he's like, I'm so glad you're out doing this. Right. And my dad, the person who's an amazing attorney because he's critical, obsessive, controlling, and thinks everything out, he thinks now is the time for me to do this. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. Like, now is right. the time to do this, as right. opposed to... If Evan were all of a sudden to be like, hey, I think I'm going to start looking into this comedy improv. It'd be like, oh boy. Yeah. Buddy. (laughs) But I think you can't measure your life to anyone else's because going back to when I was in Tucson making these lists before I even moved to Chicago, I remember going on as many websites as I could, Second Cities and reading all their actors' bios Hmm. and IO and different talent agencies reading their bios. And then I would look at my heroes bios, like the people who went through Chicago, like Bill Murray. And then I had to stop myself and be like, okay, wait a minute. If I were to follow this exact same path, not a Bill Murray per se, but someone more in my generation, there'd already be a Jason Sudeikis at the end of this. <laughs> right. So you, That's such a good way to put it. A big thing to do is you have to try everything out, see what resonates with you and be okay that there's no timetable. Yeah. You have to be okay with that things may take a while. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're still passionate and pushing yourself and setting goals, I, I think you need to enjoy the present. I think you need to learn from the past, plan for the future, but above all, enjoy the present. Enjoy the current show you're doing. Learn from the current show you're doing. And instead of just thinking, okay, yeah, I'm in the show, but coming up here is next and this is next. Because mm-hmm. when I first moved here, it was all about quantity over quality. Okay, Those yeah. 10 sketch shows a year. Like, I, I don't, I could not do that mentally or physically now. Like, yeah, sure. It's God, insane. I can't do half. I mean, I was definitely like out every night either seeing shows or like taking classes or doing shows in the first, you know, few years I lived here. And at some point you just hit a wall and you have to start like prioritizing and you don't even realize, I don't think. Something that like in the last year or so I've I've come to learn is that definitely along the lines with what you're saying, and we kind of touched on this um, off mic beforehand, that like so much of what you do, regardless of whether or not it leads to anything, informs what you do after that. Like I don't think I would have been able to just write a show and put it up in six weeks if I didn't have uh all this other experience in turn with like with some sketch writing of my own and with you know turning around sketch shows with groups I've been a part of that haven't necessarily that I've only been you know this and even like getting cast in a couple of annoyance shows along the way and like seeing what that process like could and should look like you don't even know how much those things inform your ability to do that until you actually like strike out on your own, I guess, is where I'm coming from. I totally agree with that. Uh, there's an old school saying of the fuck it adjustment. Where <laughs> you're about to do a show and you're just like, fuck it, whatever. And uh, I think I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe Del Close started it where it's like, fuck it, it's just an improv. Well, no, he would. He loved improv and the art of that. But uh, I think it's just like, fuck it, just do it. Yeah. And for a while, I was just like, I'm aware of this. I hear this a lot, but I don't like that and I don't agree with it because mm-hmm. I really care about the show and I Mm -hmm. want it to go well Mm -hmm. so that actually stayed in my head for a while and then it wasn't until like a year ago where I was like I tailored the fuck it adjustment to me personally and the fuck it adjustment for me is 
I'm going to do this show. And you know what? It's going to be great because I have the experience and the training. And I know I can do this. So I'm just going to go out and have fun. Nice. Instead of just being like, fuck it. It's not, it's not necessarily apathetic. It's more like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like it goes part and parcel with uh, you doing that show, right? Yeah. Because you knew you had the experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, not to say that it wasn't like hard and scary. And I still get, you know, really self-conscious, like thinking about it and showing it to people that I know, because it feels, you know, like the m thing that I put the most of myself into uh, so far. So that aspect of it is interesting. But at the same time, like, I had to do it, you know, I had to do it. If, if that's something I want to do, if something I want to do is like be a professional performer and create things for myself and I have to f do it, I have to actually create things for myself, you know? So it's interesting. And what the great thing was is that your parents came into the show, yeah. saw it and said they loved it. Yeah. And I think that is kind of an underlining thing of all this success thing because we want to our parents to be proud of us. Mm -hmm. We don't want to stress out our, our parents. Yeah, yeah. We don't want that our parents to worry about us. Such a good way to put it because that is also like a theme in the show that I wrote is like the idea of parental worry and the idea of a child feeling like they have to offset that some way. My mom would love and wants me to have, uh, to have kids someday so she has grandchildren. And one of the other right, reasons only is, child. Oof. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oof. One of the other reasons is she wants me to find a nice uh, partner to settle down with, so that there's someone else to worry about. <laughs> sure, <laughs> so that's so true. So though. all the worries not on her. God, that's so true. I get that all the time. Like, not to be dismissive of it, to to confirm that you know my parents, uh, my like my boyfriend's parents will often say, I now have a like close congenial relationship with them and it, it's very nice. Um, but we'll often say like on when we are like parting ways, his brothers do too. Like, hey, thanks for taking care of him. Like Yeah, and I'm sure that's it's super so, genuine. Yeah. I, like I'm getting emotional just thinking uh -huh. about it. And like, you know, my response is always like, well, we, you know, we look out for each other. Uh -huh. And I feel like it's similar. Uh, I probably don't hear it as much because it's, you know, you say it like it's my parents saying it to him, you know, like, thanks yeah. for, thanks for taking care of her. And it's like, it's like you said, like there is, there is an element of like, they want one more person <laughs> who they know is like yeah, on their kid's totally. side. Oh my yeah. God, so much. yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, as you, as we're getting older, we, it's rare in life when you have an epiphany. Epiphany is a moment where you're like, wow, I had no idea. I just learned something like boys are different than girls. <laughs> and I've had a couple in Chicago. You don't have many epiphanies in your life. I think this is the most I've ever said epiphany. <laughs> Say it a few more times. Yeah. <laughs> but one was, everyone talks about like a quarter life crisis. And I sure. definitely had one. And it was talking about this measuring of success where I'm at the Old Town Ale House at like four in the morning. <laughs> Drinking a beer, thinking about, wow, my, my cousin just bought a house. Huh, that's weird. Um, and then all the way to, wow, my parents don't know what they're doing. They, they're not this golden parachute where I can always fall back and I don't have to worry about my life because my parents will always be there. As you get older, you notice, obviously, your parents are getting older and 
that is a crazy thing to experience. And some of that can be put a lot of weight on your shoulders with sure. regards to your ambitions and the idea of quote unquote settling. Maybe I should go to law school. Maybe I should move back home. Maybe I should move to a different a city. And it's tough because all your parents, all your friends, I'm talking about Evan and my cousins, yeah. all they want is for me to be happy. Of course. That's all they want. And parents don't know what to do. There's no yeah. straight advice that you can say. Yeah. And when it comes to comedy improv, I don't think any of our friends have had parents who have gone through anything we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. I mean, <laughs> as much as I mean, your I dad was a- in, a, I'm sure, a great performance of Cats. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but they really you're right I mean like I went I think yeah I feel like maybe the only exception to that role that I've experienced is uh, I had a couple of annoyance classes with Tim Kazarinsky's son oh cool (laughs) yeah and like he was such a he has like he was really funny and like kind and god like enthusiastic to a fault and uh, 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 obviously like had such a like weird relationship to the comedy community it's not like you you know first day be like hi i'm blah blah kazarinski tim kazarinski's my dad you know it's not it wasn't one of those things it was like kind of come you figure it out or it comes out or you know somebody knows who tells you and who's oh, blah, cool. blah 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 but it's like but like you said like otherwise and even him like even tim kazarinski I can't imagine how much the community has changed since he was in it, you know? The like, community has changed drastically since I've been here. Yeah. Like insane amount. Yeah, so it's like, that guy doesn't even know what to tell his kid, and he did, like, live through it. Yeah, when it comes to, like, the pressure of parents and what we've been talking about, comparing yourself to what you, what you imagine success to be, I think it's all about being happy. As long as you're happy and motivated and really pushing yourself and not getting in stagnant places, that's great. Like, I brought a backpack here today because I have my laptop with me and I'm going to a Starbucks to write stuff, which I hate the idea (laughs) of doing that, but part of it is getting out of my apartment where there are a lot of distractions and checking some things off of my list. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanna have a real maid. I've been represented I've been very fortunate to have representation for nine years, but I'm thinking of ways where I can push myself even more and yeah. getting new business cards because my headshots changed and I left an agency and went with another one. Really? So Man, I, I that's have different awesome. things on my to- I have a life to do list and a career to do list. And that is something that pushes me and motivates me because when I see my friends in amazing projects, like I started watching Stranger Things. Oh yeah, yeah, and sure. And in the first episode, two of my friends were in that. Chris, yeah. Chris Sullivan, who plays the the chef at the diner, who finds. I haven't watched it yet, okay. but I know who Chris Sullivan is. He's I awesome. think we're friends on Facebook, even though we like never met. It's like one of those. We weird went through things. IO together, and we worked. Maybe on this. it was. Bec- I think it was maybe one of those things where like, at some point, we just had a bunch of mutual friends or something. But oh, anyway, cool. yeah, it's weird though because he. He's had a lot of success recently. He's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He uh, is going to be on like a new um, like drama. Yes, like ABC. Mm-hmm. Or ABC. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to say NBC, but I think you're right. I think it's ABC. He's been on that uh, Clive Owen show. The Nick. Uh-huh. But... And Eric watches that show, and it's my boyfriend watches it, and he loves The Nick. And like he's like... Wait, did you say you like kind of know that guy? And I was like, yeah, like kind of, but huh. he's in Stranger Things too. Yeah, wow, that's and, kinda, uh, that's crazy. Put all that to the side. Like, and John is, Reynolds, right, is yes. the other person. Yeah, yeah. 
put all that to the side. Like Chris is just one of the big, the nicest guy. Cool. The biggest hearts of, of anyone course. I've seen. Like you want to hear that, you know. Yeah. I feel that way about. Uh, I didn't really meet him until like a year, like a year and a half ago. Like after he had already left Chicago. But I feel like Tim Baltz is the same way. Like super. Nice he guy. seems to be continuing to find success, and you just love it because he couldn't be nicer he just couldn't be like he is so selfless and so funny that you those are the people that you want to find yes i got so excited yeah the uh William Henry Harrison's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Off, uh, descendant, yeah. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, Stranger Things. And, uh, yeah, of course, I was going to uh, get to John Reynolds, uh, who's yeah, an sorry. annoyance guy. Yeah. Super nice guy. Always, yeah, yeah. always liked him. Great so energy. So nice. And then seeing these guys, I was so happy for them. And it also kind of gave me a kick in the pants. Yeah. I'd be like, wow, that's inspiring. They did it. That's awesome. That, oh. like, they did the, you know, you know where they came from, literally. Definitely. Yeah. So I think, I think you need to stay driven and you need to always challenge yourself. I think you should always be in the present and enjoy it and always be committed to the show, the relationship, the conversation you're having. But at the end of the day, you should always be motivated for the next step too. Yeah. And you can measure yourself with success as far as your friends who are in stranger things and all these other amazing projects. Uh, A person I used to improvise with in Tucson who I consider a little brother, he's been in, ton of tv shows no way and i'm so proud of him j michael troutman who's in la and it's always great seeing him my best one of my best friends in the world who i did was his best man at his wedding uh he was shrek on broadway and doing all these amazing no things. shit and you need to be inspired by that mm-hmm. i mean the katie dids i know you're phenomenal close to some it's of those great. ladies yes absolutely and it's so great to see quality people do quality work and i think it's important to be inspired rather than cynical and like why did this person get this gig? So true, because you're just going to drive yourself crazy if you start living like that. And the cynicism exists in life, and it does exist in the Chicago comedy scene. Especially and- because of that, like aforementioned, everyone wants a piece of the same pie. Like you're fed the same thing yes. that, as goals. So you see someone else getting it, and you're like, your instinct is like, well, that means I didn't. And My, my thing is like, uh, never shit on someone for having fun. If... You went through I.O. and Annoyance and Second City, and you're like, all I want to do is do perform Heralds. And mm-hmm. I only perform at I.O., and all I do is Heralds, and I love it. That's great. That's Good. awesome. He did I it. will never <laughs> shit on someone for having fun. If you only, and I'll use the Annoyance as, as an example, if you only take classes at the Annoyance, and you only do shows at the Annoyance, and you start shitting on Second City or I.O. or comedy sports or whatever, it's kind of like that old thing of like, oh, I hate I. I hate avocados. Oh, you don't like the taste? Oh, I've, I have never tried one. I just, I just will not eat them. I hate them. <laughs> Why don't you experience it yeah, first before? Right. Yeah. But for me personally, like I talked about all these different training classes, I think going back to the bio of a sedacus being at the end of this path, uh-huh. you need to test different things out, take different classes, find what resonates with you, finds what makes you happy, Set goals, set lists, and then push yourself or have a friend like Andy Bulldog push you for you. Because it's important. And as far as success and measuring it, the world is a crazy place. We might have Donald Trump as president. I don't think it'll happen. I hope not. (laughs) But for God's sakes, let's just love each other, respect each other. And as far as success goes, I think good things happen to good people. 
and keep trying to be happy and yes and in the moment help other people enjoy what they're doing uh so this is like definitely a tangent but you mentioned trump and um you know pursuing your own happiness and your own goals before we started recording you mentioned that you were like a step away from yeah being, being a, an fbi agent totally so going back to me never doing any plays or anything and not being on a stage until it was uh, probably a th- maybe maybe six inch platform covered in the same carpet that covered the entire floor that was a cafeteria. Oh my God. In like the lower levels of the University of Arizona performing the Charles Darwin experience. Prior to that uh, stage, in quotes, my whole life I wanted to be an FBI agent. No shit. And... My dad worked for the Department of Justice. I wanted to Justice. be a forensic scientist for really? a really long time. Well, now you're yeah. kind of working yeah, with Yeah, I do. That's job. like actually a great perk of it is that I do get to like learn a ton about forensics, which has always been a really big interest for me. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of funny that like <laughs> if we if we weren't just playing fun and having fancies, we'd be like solving crimes. <laughs> I like I like that question. What would you be doing if you weren't pursuing comedy? And I think I would most likely be a CIA agent long pause or a professional wrestler Uh, (laughs) big big change um yeah so growing up my dad worked for the department of justice and i always loved hearing about that and my my mom's side's 100 percent irish from dc huge fans of the kennedy family very involved in politics and my my dad is when he wakes up before he goes to work he reads first page to last page the arizona daily star and the USA Today. Wow. So Super you could not well-versed. be more like in touch with current events. And his growing pessimism about the world and the U.S., uh, it sucks. Unfortunately, yeah. being informed about current events can definitely make one feel pessimistic. I know. But even, I think it was probably freshman year of high school, my dad started introducing me, taking me to uh, field offices and wow. I would meet different Because he was in the DOJ for a while. He was. That? He hadn't been for a while. Uh, he left Tucson. He left DC and then went to private practices uh-huh. to practice law. But I was meeting with some of his friends and different field agencies, field agents in Phoenix and Arizona. And around seventh or eighth grade, there's a mugshot of me that uh, is a horrible picture of me, but the cool thing is, like, it says, like, Phoenix Federal Bureau of Investigation and some random number. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So I was meeting with these different people, really considering it. Wow. And then all of a sudden, college happens, marketing. I wasn't Yeah, I was going to say, was you doing... didn't even really go into a major that would lend itself to it's that. It's funny. My, my dad was like, you should be a marketing major. I was like... Really? He's like, why? He's like, that's what I did. He's like... Because you can kind of do anything with it from his perspective, or I think it's more open than specific, uh, more specific. Really, major. I do, but at the same time, our friend Charlie Carroll majored in, I believe, yeah, he majored in theater, and mm-hmm. he's had great corporate jobs. So yeah. I think that's less of a a thing nowadays. I think so too. I bet it was more because honestly, sometimes with if especially if you're talking about you know. Uh, law schools and med schools they like love when people have abnormal they love the diverse thing oh like my I know people who were uh, science majors because they wanted to be lawyers yeah my, my cousin uh, one of her regrets few regrets is that she majored in pre-med and she wh- w- yeah she knew she was going to med school she wished yeah. she majored in renaissance wardrobe right um, <laughs> 
but I, I'm really glad because there were moments where I was like, ah, oh, man, all my friends, like I was the only non-theater major on our improv team. Right. Group. Uh, don't I don't like team. Teams compete. I like team. groups. Mm. And coaches. I'm yeah, we said troop, which is kind of like flouncy, but I think group is. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Probably where it is. But I, I'm so grateful that I had that experience of majoring in marketing and it's helped with day jobs. I bet. Yeah. And even probably some like personal goal type things too. Like there is unfortunately an element of marketing to being a performer and being an actor. Some of the best advice I ever received was my dad's former law partner's son was and still is a successful manager of talent in Los Angeles. Wow. And right when I graduated college, his law firm, my dad's law firm at the time, set up money for me to get headshots in L.A., Cool. So I, and this, the guy who gave me headshots is the guy whose ex-girlfriend dated Edward Norton and then later dated oh, Benicio shit. Del Toro. And he got to like what? awkwardly hang out with his ex-girlfriend and these two great actors. What the fuck? But during my headshots, I meet up with this manager on the lot of Universal. Yeah, I think it was Universal. And we got to drive by at the time of the, the World of Worlds with Tom Cruise, I think, was coming out. And yeah. the set was so remarkable was of what, the plane crash. Like, oh, seven or oh, eight, oh, maybe? Oh, six or something like that? Yeah. yeah. The, the set was so maybe incredible was that six. they let it up. They kept it up for months after, maybe even a year, just so people could go buy on golf carts to see and revel wow. in just how amazing it was. So we're driving around that. We stopped and saw Desperate Housewives, like, shooting, like, uh, went through the different... I'd actually taken a week-long intensive in L.A., an acting intensive with the New York Film Academy. Huh. And we got to, one of the coolest things about that was that we got to actually film on Universal's European set where dozens of Hitchcock movies were, were filmed there. Uh, Spartacus was filmed there. The Princess Diaries starring Anne Hathaway was filmed there. <laughs> and, like, I got to do two silent 8-millimeter films there. That was very wow. cool. Cool. But I remember I was sitting in his makeshift office it was kind of like this glorified trailer but it was on the universal set so it was really cool right i'd known this guy grown up this guy he's like tim the best advice i can give you and this is before i moved to chicago he's like just know that i can represent you i can get you auditions i can get you into good auditions but when you're in there even though i may not physically be there your reputation is on the line and my reputation is on the line too. Shit. So that resonated with me, like, get my shit together. Yeah. And then <laughs> later on, Michael Gelman, I quote him a lot when I teach. He, he told me that no one will push you more than you, not even your agents, not even your family, because they don't know how to push you when it comes to acting. So you need to, as weird as it sounds, see yourself as a company and you have to get the training, the experience, and like the, the lists I had with business cards and reels as weird and anti-improv laid back yeah. PBR flannel shirt yeah. as that may be. Real is like at the top of my to-do list right now. I think I think more people could use motivation and having that goal. Like when Miss Mick would, or someone would ask you, what do you want to do? Yeah. Have a clear cut. I would love to have a career in TV and film. Mm -hmm. Be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Also, I will go back to the, the person who's been through classes and it maybe is just doing Herald's. Mm -hmm. If you're just having fun, Doing and that's improv, all you want out that's of it. That's great. That's cool too. But if you want to do more, it's okay to work like towards it. Admit it to yourself and actually do it. And I, I welcome students all the time to friend me on Facebook or to send me an email. And I've helped with resumes, headshots. That's awesome. I've helped set up uh, different internships and submissions for agencies and stuff. That's awesome, dude. 
It's because when I moved here, I remember talking to TJ Jagodowski, Brad Morris, and Tim Boltz and asking them questions, and they were so nice. And they and because that's how what you were shown, it's the only thing that you want to give back to and people. And my mom did not raise an asshole. <laughs> too much that of an too. asshole. That too. That too. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, man. That's so cool. Uh, I I admire that so much, and I definitely like. There's so much that. Um, you've already done that like I want to that like is like you know on my to-do list as well I remember being in Atlanta at my family's house uh in Atlanta and seeing you in a fucking commercial and I was just like fuck Tim Erland good on that guy like I'm I'm so fortunate to have done some amazing projects films web series uh in commercial work both web campaigns and Mm -hmm national commercials and I'm so grateful from that and I've learned from that and I I do like I get a kick out of the stories I've heard from not because I want to hear it it's just weird how I get a Facebook message from a guy I haven't seen since fifth grade yeah and it's like it's like three in the morning it's like hey saw you on TV good job (laughs) wow man I haven't talked to you in fifth grade Uh, great hearing from you Uh, I don't even, yeah, but yeah, I like made they have TiVo, so I like made them pause it. I was like, that's that's my friend, that's the Merlin. <laughs> oh, crazy! It was one of those cash, cash in the USA. Yeah, wearing like a makeshift are you cape. S- are you still on their uh, payroll? Do you still do stuff for them? Yes, uh, this year we did not shoot any more commercials or do any radio spots or print things, but they renewed them. So they're the cycle of five commercials and the radio spots and the print stuff is renewed still going out there fuck yeah dude yeah that's awesome I, I, I like working with that company a lot and the creative team's great and I was bummed that we didn't get to do new stuff but right. it kind of makes sense that they already have five out there yeah yeah yeah. they totally. have a lot and you're still seeing some cash from that I'm sure net USA net cash net cash USA. yes you're still seeing some cash net USA from that <laughs> and as <laughs> As honored and fortunate as I am, I, I, I do want to push myself, and I'm inspired by yeah, you seeing can't our friends. Rest on CashNet USA. You don't want to. I mean, God bless them for putting money in your pocket and giving you work, but you know that's not what you want out of your career as an actor. Yeah, and so. this year I've had a great time teaching at the Annoyance, just level two, and then uh-huh. Jennifer Etzlin and I who runs oh, the annoyance yeah. we started a new entirely new program has called, that already started yes the first class was last saturday it's uh, improv to acting where we use the skills and improv and pretty much apply them directly to scripted work and it's great because i teach the first four weeks and specifically in that we have actors play themselves so they can access their own genuine emotions and points of view and reactions and I apply and lay on different acting techniques and exercises while they're improvising as themselves and give them like sample scripts to focus on moments before, objectives, obstacles, and intentions, mm-hmm. action, subtext. And then the, next, the last four weeks, Jennifer works with the class with scripted material. And at the end, they will have a monologue prepared and ready for auditions. That's so great. That's so cool. It, I've had a great time. It's only one class, and it was so much fun. And I, I really feel like enjoy that it. would be so. That's such a great way, you know. Again, to translate like the kinds of things that you've experienced and the people who have been helpful in your like process and 
you know, becoming a, an actor and maintaining yourself as an improviser and just kind of like paying it forward. But I'm also sure that you're learning, you learn a lot through that process as well. It's great. Like one of the exercises was I really want them to kind of walk around and think about, I really have a specific suggestion. Like I want you to think about the best vacation you've ever been on. I want you to think about who you were with, the activities you did, the sights, the sounds, the smells as they're walking around the stage. I want you to think about how great this vacation was, the pictures you took. I want you to think about everything that made this trip great. Now I want you to think about how you felt knowing that that vacation was over and that you're returning to your day job, returning to whatever city you live in, returning to that and focus on that feeling of leaving your vacation, this fun time. And maybe it was a good thing. Maybe you're going back to a great place. Right. Maybe you're most likely going back to not as fun. Not as happy. Yeah. I want you to focus on that emotion and let that drive your character throughout that scene. Interesting. So instead of just starting a scene with, I want you to feel disappointed. I want the actors to walk around and to truly access access and feel their own personal points of views, their reference. Because a lot of people, when it comes to improv, they don't like playing themselves in mm-hmm. scenes because, first of all, it's improv. We can do anything. Mm-hmm. My God, I could be a dragon slayer who has a lightsaber and a side of nachos. Right. I could do whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like yeah. a terrible scene. But Yeah, it and does. Also people like, th- but also that's kind of telling about like <laughs> when you lose track of where your own perspective in your, <laughs> yeah. in your improv is. But a lot of people think they're boring. Yeah. Why play myself? I'm stupid. I'm boring. But I keep stressing you are one in the world. Even if you are a a family, or even if you have two brothers and sisters, you're triplets. Yeah. They don't think the same you do. Uh They don't react the same way you do. They don't have the same thought process and point of view and on different subjects and everything. You are so uniquely you, and you alone are a rock star, and you are fascinating to see on scene. And I even did an exercise where it's like, what makes a good improv scene? We all do this critical, analytical, left brain bullshit of these rules that we think exist. Sure. Don't ask questions. Yeah. Make it about the relationship and all these things. And I challenge them. Now I want you to intentionally break all of those rules. (laughs) Go out, sabotage the scene. I want you to perform the worst improv scene you can. Mm -hmm. And those scenes are great because they're so uniquely the person and how they do things. And it's with energy and with fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And as long as you're yourself, you're, you're yourself in scenes, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have a great time realizing, wow, I guess I'm not boring. And to access our own emotions and improv and then to bring them to scripted work with Jennifer, it, it, I, I'm really looking forward to that. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds so cool. As soon as, I, as that got announced, I was like, oh, man, cool. Good for them. Like, how forward and, you know encouraging to people who like we've been talking about may like get lose track of something that might have been a a passion or a a goal for themselves uh when a good way to kind of like goad people into continuing yeah that pursuit and that's one of the new things that i've had on my list and i uh after this i'm gonna go write and that's something that i you inspired me by putting up your own show and something that resonated with your life and that your family went and saw and supported you that's 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 amazing and yes i've done solo stuff before um and i'm very fortunate to have done that but i need to push myself more to write more and get writing packets together mick and andrew alexander recently had a talk at the annoyance Mm -hmm. and one of mick's advice was that people should 
always have solo material not only prepared and polished, but also that they performed and tested out in front tested, of audiences. Tested, yeah. Because mm-hmm. when a showcase does come up at a different theater, sometimes it is relatively on short notice. Yeah. And obviously they want to represent the theater well. So they want to get people up there, not just someone who was like, oh, I can throw something together. No, we want you to put your best foot forward to these casting agencies. And also we want, we have to think about the brand, the yeah. theater. And then Andrew Alexander said that people should prepare for packets and writing TVs because, writing for TV shows, because sometimes they will be like, oh, that was interesting. Hey, can you send me a packet? And a lot of time people will just be like, oh yeah, sure. And they'll throw something together. Right. Again, I won't shit on anyone if they're having fun and they just want to do improv, but there is a lot of power to preparation. Sure. And I think anxiety, the best way to overcome anxiety is to properly prepare for things. For sure. A lot of of times I go, it works for auditions, Mm -hmm. for shows. And that's such a, that's a really hard thing to like keep in mind and keep as a, a center when the community can tend to be so improv focused because improv is this thing that is like spur of the moment. It only happens once you show up, you put it together, you leave, you know what I mean? Like, there is a like fallacy, I think. And you know, there's a beautiful thing about that, obviously. And like, obviously we both enjoy doing it and I love, I improvise at least once a week. Uh, but there's this fallacy of like, not everything can work that way. I just can't. Like you have to, in the same way that like good improv is prepared improv in the sense that you know who your teammates are and you have a sense of, you know, the things that make it good, not necessarily like prepared that you like wrote everything down before you started performing, but prepared in the sense that kind of like what I was going back to what I was saying earlier of like everything you've done leading up to that point has prepared you for that challenge. Yeah. The fuck it adjustment. Right. The, the fuck it adjust, adjustment. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, I think that is part of the uh, thing that m- not necessarily makes people complacent, but can people can kind of lose sight of that preparedness, myself included. I'm not trying to, you know, indict anyone. I certainly know that Name, I names. have Senator been. <laughs> uh, I certainly know that I have fallen victim to that. I mean, Mick would be the first one to like. Who? Mick. I'm kidding. He, like, I had an audition that. I needed a solo piece for that I didn't know I was going to need a solo piece for that I didn't have anything prepared and I had to I had an idea and I did have a few days you know and he asked me God bless him he was like do you want to put something up at at Skimprov tonight it was that night and I was and he was like I don't give a shit I'll give you a stage like I have a stage that's awesome it was amazing he was the best and like I'm in I won't say that like I made a mistake. Yeah, like I turned him down because I was like, I booked another opportunity to put it up elsewhere, to put it up the next night, and uh, I probably could have and should have done both, but at the same time, like I did put it up. You know, I was like, thank you so much. That means a ton. Uh, I'm gonna put it up at you know this place tomorrow, so I'll have done it at least once, if not more than once, before the audition. But he was like, all right, like you know, just so you know, like it's it's on the you know offer stands kind of thing and it was like he just wants people to do their best they can like he just wants success for people mick has one of the biggest hearts of anyone i've i've ever met and so does jennifer and that's Mm -hmm. why i'm proud to teach and perform at the annoyance and have done so for years Mm -hmm. 
I really like that place a lot and has a, a great environment of support, no judgment, and people enjoy hanging out there. People enjoy going to shows. Yeah, it's been really great to to put that show up and, and kind of feel out how uh, that's been a goal of mine for like a long time. And uh, Good for you. Yeah, 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 it's cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So um, where I'm at now, 10 years uh, in Chicago, my cousins have great lives, work a lot, have beautiful kids. My cousins, one of them's a surgeon, so proud of her, probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. And my, as I mentioned, my friend Evan has a kid and a kid on the way. And it is, you're always going to have this subconscious or very aware sense of comparing your lives to other and how you deem successful. And as your parents get older, that's, that can weigh on you. And in acting, everything is so uncertain. Going back to the list of X leads to Y leads to Z, there's no clear path with acting. So I think it's important to be happy, to be happy with what you're doing, to enjoy the present, to push yourself. I like the idea of these lists and having goals and steps to achieve them and actually checking them off. But when it comes to success and happiness, I think success is being happy. Hmm. I think as long as you're being happy, that's successful, and your friends and family want you to be happy. And if you're happy with what you're doing, I think that is successful. And there is no clear pattern for how to raise a kid to how to be a good son (laughs) or daughter. Yeah. I think just as long as you're happy, you're a kind person, you respect people, you love people, I think that is a success in itself. That... I agree with wholeheartedly and it's such a a difficult thing to keep in mind as like you said you start you know comparing yourself to people this dovetails really nicely into what I like asking uh finally and you've definitely been speaking to it but I think there will be um uh an epiphany (laughs) um how do you feel like your interest in the pursuit of success and your experience and, uh, and love for this kind of topic and what it means, how do you feel like that has influenced you creatively? And how do you feel like it's influenced your life in general? I feel like uh, I would not have moved to Chicago had I not been so analytical and driven. I think I would have stayed in Tucson, quote unquote, played it safe, even though I don't I don't see that as a failure. Yeah. My last name was on a building of a law firm. Had I not moved to Chicago, I could have gone to law school and walked right into that building with my last name on it. But I think being driven, and surprisingly enough, you know, me being an only child, moving to a city where there's no family nearby, not knowing anyone, that was a direct result of me wanting to be successful driving myself there to do new things and experiences. And that was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. That's awesome. Uh, Not to get too artsy fartsy, but like the world of improv has made me a better person because it's (laughs) made me more empathetic. Absolutely. I was already empathetic. God, I agree with that. But I think the world could use a a hell of a lot more empathy and people should never assume what is it like to be a person of color or to be someone of a different sexual orientation don't assume that. Just have the empathy 
to feel for that person, to have compassion and like, my God, to respect and love one another because life is way too short. But as far as success goes, it got me out to Chicago and it got me to take all these classes, make all these lifelong friends that I'm so fortunate to know. And I think it still has me driven. Like everyone else, I don't know what the, this is going to lead to, what the next step is. Sure. And who knows? I may end up going to law school, but right now huh. I'm happy and I see that as successful. And the important thing is to always be productive and not to get stagnant. And I think stagnant is something that I have done in the past. And that is something that I'm actually not okay with because like, it's easy to do the same set of shows for an entire year. You, I still enjoy them. I'm still present, but I need to keep challenging myself. Sure. And I love that I started teaching not even a year ago and that Jennifer and I are starting this new class and already I'm going to meet with my agents and talk about what I can do on my end as far as more classes, a real voiceover demo, things that I can do to put my career and push it even further. Because at the end of the day, I want to be successful in my parents' eyes, even though I know they're proud of me. I don't want them to worry. And I also want to make my life better. What it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Tap that potential. That's awesome. This has been so great. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. I love where we landed with this. It feels really, that felt so like complete. And you inspired me about your show. I truly mean it. That's really sweet, man. It it was, it was like, it was hard, but um, if I, I feel like I can't stress enough that like, if you want to do something and you feel like you've been working towards it, even in nebulous ways and you just have to do it to see what it looks like. Definitely. And like the old improv thing about going on before, when you're backstage about to go on a show and like tapping someone on the shoulder and looking at the eye and saying, I have your back. Like that's an important aspect. That means something. There's a reason why we do that. Mm -hmm. And this community needs to support each other. needs to respect and love each other. And you inspired me. And I know you're looking to get an agent. And like, If you don't I, know this, anytime you can text me. I literally, like, in my head was like, God, I got I have to, like, pick your brain about on-camera yeah. classes and agent stuff. Because that's, like, my, I, the, that is the thing that I need to do to, like, prove myself one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like, that if it's something that is feasible or if it's not. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. You're amazing. And I, I always welcome students to uh, Facebook and email me. And I always, if no one does the first two weeks, I, I say it every week. That's great. And sure enough, and we need to By help the each end, other. someone will. That, that means a lot, man. I'll definitely be doing that. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a real joy. I love you, and I mean that. Love you, too. Mm-hmm. Tiny Rick. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.